Praise God. Amen. We'd like to welcome everyone today. If you are a guest with us today, we welcome you. We're so thankful that you're here to worship with us today. Amen. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord today. Worshiping. Praise God. Amen. Now that you're now that you're back and fully awake and you've got your your uh, your social juices flowing again, why don't we just do this one more time? Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord right now and let's just give God thanks and praise for His goodness and His mercy. Can we do that right now, Father? You're good. You're great. We worship You today. We magnify You today. We exalt You today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God is good. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Now that you're nice and awake, why don't you be seated. God bless you. Amen. The Lord is continues, continues to remind me over and over again. I was just this past week, I was in San Diego. The Lord has opened the door and um, for me in the ministry and connecting me with churches in that area. Um, the Lord has given me a, a burden and connection. It's amazing to think. There is roughly 30 million people in the Southern California area. And at this present time, there are only dozens of churches that believe and preach what we believe to reach that amount of people. Um, it's amazing to me, the, the mass amount of people. And so the Lord is is helping and connecting out there and giving me opportunity to go out there and helping some churches build and start small group style churches like we're doing here. And, and so the Lord's really is, is doing well. One of the churches out there that connected with, they, they started, I, I went out there a couple, about two years ago and just started laying the foundation right kind of when we were doing it. And then Last year, they started two groups, and they just started their sixth group in about six months, and doing wonderful and very thankful for what the Lord's doing. I was out there and had some time to just sort of meditate on the Lord and was praying and talking to the Lord. It just reminded me all over again the importance of the teaching of the Word of God. And... Not just, there's nothing wrong with preaching. There's a time and place for preaching. But by definition, you do not make disciples through preaching. Preaching can be inspirational. Preaching can be correction. Preaching can be a lot of things. But it's very hard and almost, it's basically impossible to be a disciple through simply preaching. And uh, I look back on the years that a lot of us grew up in the Lord under Bishop Wright. And Bishop Wright was so much a teacher that if he was going to preach, he had to announce he was going to preach. 
he would say, I'm not going to be teaching, I'm going to be preaching. And so probably 90% of the time, Bishop Wright was a teacher first. And because of that, the spiritual depth and the spiritual maturity of this church is unparalleled. I, I, I say that not because I grew up here. I say that because as I've traveled to hundreds of churches, it's amazing the depth. And that really comes from the depth of the teaching. And so the Lord was dealing with him about that. And so every once in a while when I feel in my flesh and I guess in my own working through my own issues, that te- you know, you got it. teaching is just too boring. But the Lord reminds me teaching is what's going to help us become a disciple. So I want to teach some today. It, it, it may, the Lord kind of laid this on my heart. I want to read a scripture for you. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 says, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah, and, it begat, and he begot Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. It's amazing that this verse has been preached about, talked about, and I'm not here to rehash that. It's just amazing that this entire man's life was summed up in the simple word, walked. He walked with God. If you want to take a New Testament spin on it, if you go to John chapter 5, verse number 7, this is the sick man that was laying by the pool. Verse 7 says, the sick man answered, says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. I've read that verse a million times. But for some reason, as the Lord began to deal with me over this, that word walk jumped out at me because in just sort of, you read something, but you just don't really put two and two together. The Bible says that he was a sick man, but it didn't really say that he, 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 he was lame. He wasn't able to walk because it says, when I'm coming down to the pool, someone steps in front of me. So he had some semblance of mobility. So you would think that Jesus would say to him, rise up and leave it at that. Rise up. But I find it to be curious that Jesus tells him, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. If you would imagine for a moment if that was you and I today, and you had been lame, and you had been sick for 38 years like this fellow, that the moment you got strength to do it, not only would you have got up, but you would have probably run, jumped, skipped. You would have been excited. But it's amazing that Jesus spoke the word, walk. Now, you could say today that meant a lot of different things, and I think all of us could have our own interpretation of why he said that, and I think all of us could probably be right to some extent, but for the context of what I want to talk about today, I want you to focus on that word he said, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And then to cap it all off, I taught about this a couple of months ago, but Luke chapter 24 is absolutely one of the most fascinating chapters in all the Bible, because Luke 24 opens up with the empty tomb. The beginning verses of Luke 
chapter 24 is the discovery of the empty tomb. That they discover the fact that Jesus has risen. That he's a dead man that has come back to life. That this, this, this Christ, this supposed son of God who was put on a cross that we all saw with our own two eyes carried away dead, who was in the ground for three days with a stone so heavy it could not be moved just by a mere mortal man that now that stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty and two angels are standing there saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? This is the opening act of Luke 24. And so if you look at that, you you would think that following up such a momentous, the greatest event in history that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, would have given us something even greater. You know, something along the lines of, you know, they discovered the tomb was rolled away and they searched for Jesus and they found Him standing in crowds of thousands worshiping Him, the risen Savior. I mean, that's the kind of thing you would expect to follow such a momentous event. I mean, you, you would expect that it would have been something maybe even more along the lines of, and, and they searched for Jesus and they found him walking through and all the dead was being raised around him and the lame were walking and all that. And, and this is something to me, if I was writing the story, if, if I was creating the story, that I would have followed up such a a momentous, climactic event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was something awesome. Something maybe along the lines of he steps into the temple and all of Israel now knows who that this is the Messiah. I mean, something great. This is what, what, what this is the kind of event that such a, 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 a monumental uh, story deserves. It deserves something to crescendo. But then Luke immediately goes from this, this, this epic event of the empty tomb and then Luke goes into this seemingly mundane off-the-cuff story of these two dudes walking on a seven-mile road. He goes into this whole thing of these two fellows on the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem. He gives us the description of it being a seven-mile journey, that, that it was so important for Luke to express this deal that he even gives us the length of the journey and, and, and the fact that Jesus comes along. And I taught about it a couple weeks ago, the, the sort of the sequence, but I want to focus on just the fact that, that, that of all the things that Jesus could have done after the resurrection, notice Luke doesn't mention Thomas. Luke doesn't mention any of these events that took place post-resurrection. He talks about two nameless dudes on a road And Jesus decides to go walking with them. Not only did he walk with them, but he walked with them for seven miles on their journey. And the amazing thing about that was, the Bible says in Luke that he didn't even reveal who he was during the journey. 
It didn't come till after the journey when they were eating that he opened their eyes and they could see that he was who he was. For seven miles, he walked their journey. What is the significance of that? Well, number one, he had a glorified body. He didn't need to walk. In fact, just a few verses later, he just appears in the middle of the disciples. You would think that if it was, if I had a glorified body, what's the need to walk? Seven miles? See you later. I mean, come on, seriously. If you had a glorified body, how many of you are sitting in traffic tomorrow morning on the way to work? No way. You're sleeping until the last second, and then you're opening your eyes at your desk. You're not, you're not driving in traffic. You're taking advantage of that thing. You're beaming yourself right to your desk, right on time. How awesome would that be? What's the point of walking when you don't have to? Why would Jesus walk seven miles with two dudes without even telling them who he was when he didn't even have to walk? And if you think he was going to walk with them, he would have told them, hey guys, it's me, Jesus. Now let's go for a walk. Let me tell you all about what I'm going to do. But for seven miles, he walked with them on their journey. Seven miles. Every pothole, every rock. Have you ever looked at the pathways in Israel? They're not exactly glass paved roads. So for seven miles, he walked with them. I find this to be fascinating that of everything that Luke could have shared. I mean, when's the last time you've walked seven miles? It's not exactly like from here to your car. If you go out walking, 15 minutes a mile is a decent pace of walking. So at minimum, you're talking about an hour and 45 minute walk. At minimum, more than likely on their terrain, wearing what they were wearing, it's going to be at least two, two and a half, three hours. Three hours of walking on their journey. Why? What's the significance of this deal? It's amazing to me that nowadays, and a lot of you in this room have it on your arm right now. It's amazing to me today that we have become obsessed with steps. My father is doing a tremendous job at losing weight. I think he's lost about 60 pounds and and the way he's doing that, he's doing, he's watching his weight, and he's also walking. And so, I mean, he was there, I mean, getting these steps in were a big deal to him. And he would come to my son's baseball game, and everyone would be sitting there, and no, not Bishop Wright, he's walking. <laughs> watching the game as he walked around the entire field. And he kept walking. And he'd be like, you know, i got to get my steps inside. And he'd give updates to the family. I'm at 55,000 steps for this week. And I'm, I'm at, I'm at and, and Brother you set meetings with him. And he'll give you an update on steps. And, you know, and, and so this is a big deal for him to get his steps. And I know some of you, those 10,000 steps, that's your deal, man. And you'll stay up all night beside your bed. Well, I, I got to get them set. Can't go to bed yet. I'm only at 990. Got to go. Got to go. 
I'm telling you. And so when you get that 10,000 steps, it's like, thank God I can go to bed now. I've got them steps. And we're, we're, we're just absolutely just obsessed with steps. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know? Take the stairs. Don't take the elevator. Get your steps in. The steps, everybody. Steps, steps, steps. It's amazing to me. I spent a lot of years trying to learn how to run with God, skip with God, leap with God. But it's only been the last couple years that I've learned, truly learned, how to walk with Him. I want to talk to you today just for a few moments on walking with God, learning to walk with God. I find it to be fascinating that Enoch walked with God. Rise up and take up your bed and walk. And then Jesus, right after the resurrection, the first story that Luke 24 tells us after the resurrection was that Jesus went on a walk. So many of us are trying to learn how to run through life, skip through life, leap through life. But God wants you to learn how to walk in life. When I die, if I die before the Lord comes back, the last thing that they will put on my gravestone was he was a patient man. (laughs) That will not be the description that I'm known by. He was a man of great patience. I am someone, I, I am by nature fairly hyper. I'm by nature probably whatever you want to, back in my day, you know, they didn't have labels, but I guess if you could label, I was probably ADD, ABC, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> probably still a little bit of that now. Shh. Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. And so... For me, I can't speak for you, but for me, it's very, I get impatient with sort of just the idea of just every day. My wife and I are very much polar opposites in a lot of ways, and it's a great thing for us uh, because uh, it balances us out. And she is a, she's very much a in-the-moment person. Take care of the task ahead. And I drive her crazy because I'm always talking about what we have to do down the road. And I'll say to her, you know, don't forget next week got this and this week. Got... And she's like, I can't think of any of that right now. I just have to take care of what's ahead of me right now. But I said, I know we got all that. She goes, we'll deal with that when we get there. But I said, if we don't prepare before we get there, she's like, you just let me handle that. You worry about that. I said, I got it. Because <laughs> I get weary, frustrated with this. But God has been working on me because from from one standpoint, I'm just going to be honest with you today. From one standpoint, coming and doing this every Sunday is exhausting. Nobody else wants to admit that. I guess I'll be the elephant in the room. 
I mean, come on. I, I'm, 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 I'm a week away from being 39 years old. I have done this. And when I say my entire life, I'm not talking about just, I'm literally, I have pictures of me when I was a infant just out of the hospital and I was going to church on a Sunday. I've averaged 52 Sundays a year for 39 years. That's a lot of Sundays. Sister Owens, it's a lot of Sundays for you, isn't it? We won't say how many. And there's a part of me that, that it's a struggle sometimes because it's like, well, you know, here's another Sunday and here's another deal and what have we done this before? And, and Sister Rose, you've had a lot of Sundays, right? And it feels like it's like, what is another Sunday? And it's another Sunday. And it's very easy just to say, well, you know, well, you know, I got this going on. I got this. Well, it's just a Sunday. It's no big deal. But, but, and, and, and just, we want something else. Whereas we want the, the flashing lights and do something because I just, I don't know if I could just keep doing this. And then I, me, the type of person I am, I look off in the distance and I just, I don't see future. I just see more Sundays. And I'm thinking, how long do we have to do this? But then I realized something. That there's a walk in all this. That that he didn't say the word run, sprint. And that when he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in, 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 in the Old Testament, it said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Which really gives to me that every single thing that I do, every step matters to God. We're so caught up in thinking the only thing that God cares about is the destination, but really God cares about the step. Our our whole mentality is, is that really God only cares about us being saved or lost, heaven or hell. That's the destination. That's all God cares about. And if that's the case, then everything I'm going through, it's like, what's the point? Just get me to the finish line. But he said, every step is ordered by the Lord. And there's this idea of walking. It used to be week by week, but now the Lord's challenging Antioch West that it's not a week by week, it's a day by day. Sadly today, you know, most books and resources that people have been given for facing life really draw most of their vocabulary and idea from business and psychology. Because they talk about giving people the ability to manage Reduce, cope with stress, strain, trauma. People are told how to avoid negative thoughts and how to buffer themselves from things and how to, to, to exercise and to surround yourself with healthy things and healthy living. And all this stuff is helping you to, to cope with or, or in some ways avoid life. And we see things like learning to accept things we cannot change. But the problem with all that is, all of that focuses on sort of our immediate emotional response to our environment that we're in. But if you look at that idea and then you contrast it 
to a biblical point of view, you realize that they really don't match up. And, and, and in, in the, the biblical context, life and living is, is used in the metaphor, we'll get into it a little farther here in a minute, but is used in the metaphor of walking. But now our world has become a world where we're trying to avoid. That life is sort of like the weather, that if you don't like life here, just move over here where it's not raining, or move there and avoid this and avoid that. And so we're 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 hardwired in our modern thinking to avoid pain, avoid suffering, avoid difficulty, avoid this, avoid this, that, avoid that. And so because of that, we expect God to sort of line up with that thing and that God should always have what we think, and I put this in quotation, what's best for me at heart and not really what's best in his mind, what's really best for me in my thought process. And so we... we you see this and you see people that live that way and they're, they're, they live of extreme highs and extreme lows because, because they're not learning how to walk in life. They're just learning how to cope with life. Every person in here today has a story of pain and suffering, a struggle, hurt, loss, whatever it might be. I'm not here today to try to give you answers for why you go through those things, but I'm here today to tell you from a biblical standpoint of view, God knows the path you're on, but He's also asked you to walk. Look at the Scripture. Look at the descriptions that were given to us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Other images uh, in the Bible, numerous places, talk about walking in the depths of water. Psalm 73 gives us this description of walking carefully on slippery and dangerous mountain passes. And numerous times, over and over again, it's this image that kept going over in me of walking. And, And as I began to kind of dig deeper, I just kept getting this idea that this is a walk. And what ties it all together is the idea of walking through. Not running through. How many days, Mother Owens, did you, when you were dealing with losing Mona, how many days did you, maybe today, did you wish you could run through it? All of them. How many days is just, Walking. Sister, do it. How many days after George passed did you wish you could just crank the speed dial up and just get down the road? But it was walking. I, I remember one, why, why, my wife and I were going through some, some dark personal times in our lives and and it, it it was it was a really dark place that we were in and and uh, it was a tremendous struggle it was it was it was one of the probably the darkest times that 
we've ever been through. And, 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 and I look back at that and someone asked me, how did you get through it? What, what was the answer? And I told him, I, and, and I, I thought about it for a second and, and we talked about it for a second. And, and, and I remember there were times where, where there was good prayer. And I remember there was times where the Lord ministered. And I remember there was times where someone said an encouraging word or there were moments. But, but I look back on it and, and I realized that it wasn't like one moment where we woke up one day and it was like, it's over, it's done. Yes. I, I can't tell you the, now, some of you have the testimony. God bless you for it. I don't, we don't have the testimony to say, well, it was one Sunday and, 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 and brother so and so was preaching and the Lord spoke to me that day that that was going to be my day and I walked down and lifted up my hands and the Holy Ghost fell and boom, when I got in my car, it was all over. I didn't have that. I was looking for it. Didn't get it. I mean, sometimes when you're the preacher and you, you don't, you, you, there's no one to pray. You just got to put your hand on yourself and pray for yourself. I was, Jesus name. Gee. I was even trying to shake or something. Come on. Help me. Somebody. I mean, I was anointing myself. I mean, I'm about to baptize myself. Whatever it takes, Jesus, just do something. Nothing. And I'm waiting for that sort of like moment I can come in and, and it's going to be the day, right? And I'm going to have that great testimony. It was all done today. But it wasn't like that. And I look back and we look back on those things and, 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 and where we are now. And we realize it, it wasn't an overnight thing. It literally was just walking. There were some events around the line that encouraged us that we were walking the right direction. But they didn't speed up the process. Why? Why if God is truly supposed to be this God who only cares about us having a perfect life, why would He not just say, okay, now it's done, let's move you forward. Why would He continue to have us? Why not avoid the valley of the shadow of death? Why walk through it? Why, why not go all the way around if he's really delivered? If you are the Christ, the Son of God, take yourself down off that cross. I'm going to walk through it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep walking. Why? Because there's something that he tries to give us in the walk. It's amazing to see that at the core of all of this is the idea that this whole journey that God has us on is walk. We talk about, well, this is my walk with God. And, and you know, let me talk, let me tell you my testimony about my walk with God. But I don't even realize, I think we know what we're saying when we call it a walk with God. It's truly a walk with God. That every day is a step, that every Weak is a step, that every moment is a step, that every teaching is a step. It's a true walk with God. And, 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 and wrapped up in this walk are those valleys and those dark places and, and, and those, those, those darknesses. Isaiah 43 says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Notice, it didn't say, if you walk through water. If you walk through the rivers. 
if you walk through the fire. It's not if, it's when you walk through the river. When you walk through the water. When you walk through the fire. It's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when. I'm, I'm fascinated today that so much of preaching has been built of trying to teach people and encourage people how to avoid stuff that God has got them in. I mean, I mean, totally frank, the Lord's changed this in me the last couple of years. And if it offends you, it's going to have to just offend you. But if you're sick and you call me over, don't expect me to pray the prayer of healing. I'm not a magician. If God tells me to pray it, I'm going to pray it. But I can't pray something, you, I get you out of something and God has you in. So if you come over and you ask me to pray and you hear me pray, God, let your will be done. I speak your grace and your will be done in this situation. And you're like, well, why didn't you pray for me to be healed? Because God didn't tell me to pray for you to be healed. You know why we like, well, why is it, why God doesn't do many miracles around here? He doesn't do it and he's not healing this. Because what he's doing in you during that process is far greater than a miracle where you can shout and say, well, I was in this, but God healed me. Can he heal? Yes. But I got to be honest with you. He's gotten a bad rap. Because we got a lot of this stuff that we're going through that God's using to work in our hearts and lives to form us into the image He's created us to be. He's got us in. And we keep praying for Him to get out of And He's going, no. And we're like, well, see, prayer doesn't work. Oh, no, it works. You're just praying the wrong prayer. And I got to be honest with you. I think we got a little too free with just going around and trying to heal everybody. Did Jesus heal? Yes. But the people he healed and the the gospels were healed for a confirmation of the word of salvation in their life. He didn't just heal to heal. If you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. I'm the resurrection and the life. I let him die so I could show you who I was. But you're so caught up in the fact I didn't answer the first prayer that you can't even see the revelation. I'm trying to get you in the process. And it was so devastating to Jesus that he actually wept over their miss of the revelation. I'm the resurrection of life. You're so worried about me giving a miracle that you're missing the revelation. Stop chasing the miracle and start chasing the revelation behind the miracle. I'm telling you right now, some of you would change your situation right now if you would stop praying for God to get you out of it and start asking God to show you what he wants to show you in it. But you don't know how much pain I'm in. No, you're right, but he does. You don't know the difficulty I'm going through. You're right, but he does. And do you really think God's up there going, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Boy, I got a lot of stuff going on today. Man, a lot of people hurting, a lot of people in need. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this again today. To heal or not to heal, that is the question. Hmm. Let me see, hold on. Hey Gabe, Mike, come over here, buddy. Uh, Those people down there hurting, what should I do? Should I heal them? I don't know, you know what? I want to make them wait one more week. Oh, I got a good one. How about let's make them pray harder? Now, they're not praying hard enough. They got to pray harder. 
Oh, and I, intensity. I need intensity. Oh, they're getting close. Oh, 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 I can see. Oh, I see a tear. I see a tear. Get ready, guys. I'm about to do it. Ready? Oh, you're ready. Oh, close, close. Oh, they were so close today. I, I was, I thought today was going to be their day too. Do you really think God's up there doing that? Come on. We say it and it's funny, but we live that way. We come in here going, God, you know, you know, you don't know the hell I'm going through. And I just came here because you should be honored because I showed up today and I could have been at home today because, you know, I woke up today and I think I'll have a cold next week. So I need to start preparing. I should have stayed home in preparation for that cold. But, you know, I got up today and I didn't feel good and I was tired because I stayed up last night and watched that good movie and I'm tired. But I made it anyways. I didn't even have my coffee and I got to get up work tomorrow early and I got another dumb small group. But I'm here today. You can at least throw me a bone. We s- Can I tell you something? Let me say, let me give you a little secret. Do you think after a year and a half of teaching all this stuff that God's not going to hold us accountable? You would do yourself better go and find somewhere else to go to church. Because if you stay here, God's going to hold you accountable. So I'm giving you free release in the Holy Ghost, and I mean that sincerely. If you, if you don't want to be held accountable to that teaching, you need to go find somewhere else. But if you stay here, you don't think God's going to hold you accountable to everything he's, that's been coming across this pulpit, not just by me, but by the other men and women that have stood in this pulpit, that God's not going to do that? Do you think God's going to bless you if you're going to run your own life Monday through Saturday and show up here and put your good hat on and God's going to bless you? You think he's going to do that? You have no clue. And do you think God's going to let you walk in the spiritual life, but your natural life, you run it the way you want? He's going to bless you. Those days are over here. You might go somewhere else and find that, but you tell me God's not up to it because he's looking for a people that are willing to be humbly submitted, biblically formed, walking in him. And being in the image of him. I'm going to tell you that right now. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. I told my wife that today. I, some of you are going through stuff right now. Right now. Because you're still determined to do it your own way. And you're still giving God his, your token prayer. Oh God, oh whatever your will would be done. And guess what? Because he's not answering fast enough and not answering the way you want. I'm telling you that. Some of you have put yourself in some bad situations. And the worst thing you could do, and I've, the Lord's checked me on it because I've done the same thing. The worst things that could come out of your mouth is, well, I think. Well, I think I should. Because God is teaching me what I think is usually far off from what he thinks. I mean, it's a silly thing. It's a minor thing in the grand scheme of things. But I think, from a human standpoint, that if you're going to sell your house, you should know where you're going and where you're going to live. (laughs) Not with Jesus. Sell your house. Where are you going? No clue. Where are you going to live? No clue. What are you going to do? No clue. He just told us to sell a house. Well, don't you sell your house to go somewhere else? Usually that's the case, but right now I don't know. I don't know. And there's a portion, and, and, and my wife has done far better with it than me because still there's a portion of me every once in a while that 
that internal pressure that, that got to be the man of the house. I'm like, I've figured this out. God, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, just like, you know, I'm going to start going online just hinting to God, hey, something's out there. Help us out here. Nothing. Why? Because he ultimately, it's not about what I think. And, and so he had this idea, it's walking with God. And then he uses this metaphor that starts to appear in Scripture that not if you go through the fire, but when. And then Peter gives us one of... Peter is probably one of the most uh, proportionally heavy books in the Bible when it comes to walking with God, pain, suffering, life, difficulties, trials, ups, downs. To the point that Peter was the one that gave us the great metaphor of the fire, the trial, and the gold. And the fact that fire has the ability to destroy or to improve. And fire is built and designed with gold to be able to to, to bring out the impurities. And we talked about this with the anatomy disciple that, that, that God doesn't waste a hurt. God doesn't waste a situation. And we joked and told stories about the fact we know two, two car accidents in less than a week and, and what God did in those two car accidents to, to bring out some impurities in, in my heart. And God and others of you have told me stories about things in your life, little things and different deals. And, and God's using all these things. And, and, and should, can we avoid them? No can't avoid these things. It's a part of the walk. But in the walk, God's using those things in all of us to bring out the impurities. Is it pretty? No! There's nothing sometimes more discouraging. I don't know how you are. But when God pulls back the curtain and shows you the junk inside your heart. If you are here today and you, have, you think you're all that, it's been a while since God revealed to you what's going on inside. Because God opens a heart for the Tino and sees the junk down in Joel. But today I'm more thankful than ever that he's not letting that stuff stay in there. That he's not letting me just come to church and put in my time and feel comfortable with a hand raise and a hallelujah and a who kicked a kickstart my Honda and kill a mosquito and so I can feel good about myself and I can walk out and live with this stuff in me lying dormant that when the fire comes in life, I'm going to realize, where did all this come from? But he's merciful and loving and kind enough and gives me enough grace, Sister Jenny, that he can make all this stuff and show me all this stuff. And is it ugly? Yes. Do I like it? No. But he's peeling back this stuff. Why? Because he's trying to purify me so that I can come out like that pure gold. So why would I avoid something that's going to make me better? I would lift a hand today and ask you right now, how many of you live with chronic pain? A lot of you live with chronic pain. Why? I don't know. Can God heal? Yes. Does he? Why? It kind of reminds me, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. 
story that you know. It's a Sunday school story. Everybody knows the story. Three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story, but in case you've been a while since you heard it, these three boys were in Babylon and there was a, a, a decree that went out that, that they were going to play music before the great statue and, 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 and when the music played that everyone was to bow down before the statue and, and, uh, uh, worship. And so everyone gathered together in the, the great courtyard and the music began to play and the masses knelt down, but there stood those three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It infuriated the king. He gave them a second chance and they still didn't do it. And so as a punishment, he decided to throw them into a fire, into a furnace. And we know the story that the, the heat wasn't good enough. He asked them to turn it up hotter. In fact, it was so hot that it actually burned the people that were stoking the fire. And and we know what was about to happen and draw your attention again to the the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're given the idea of one more chance to recant, one more chance to, to get out of this, and they responded with, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not. Everyone say that with me. But if not. Be it known to you, O king. That we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. This has got to be one of the most paradoxical, paradoxical balances of Confidence and humility in human history. On one standpoint, it's this defiant attitude that you throw us in there, buddy. We will be delivered. But on the other side, it's this attitude, but if not. I can't imagine Standing before, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I don't know why we got on the subject. But I think we were talking about measures of grace or something like that. And, and, and I said to her, and, and she echoed back, we often talk about, could you die for, the, for your faith? And the answer is that, you know, I hope so. But you don't know until you're there, Right? Everybody has a plan to get hit in the face. It's like, sure, everybody, well, of course I would die for Jesus. Then you have a gun right there with the hammer cocked. It just got real. I mean, everybody talks a big game, right? Do I believe I could do it? By His grace. Do I believe Joel could do it? No. Do I believe the grace of God in me could do it? Yes. But... But you're standing there in this moment. You're standing there in this this life on the line moment. And you have the confidence to say, God will deliver us. Go ahead. Bring it on, buddy. But you have the reality to know, but if not. It's amazing 
that in this, their answer came really in their confidence in God. Not really in their understanding of what God would do. I think this is the struggle. This is the last few minutes. I want to kind of work on this right here because I think this is the struggle as we learn to walk with God. They had this inner confidence in them that God was going to rescue them, but they also weren't arrogant enough to think that they were reading God right. They were confident to know that God will deliver us, but they also understood in their humility. But if not, but if not, They knew God was under no obligation to operate according to their limited wisdom. So in other words, if you want to say it this way, their confidence was in God Himself, not in some agenda that they wanted God to promote. They trusted in God. And that included trust that He knew better than they on what should happen. So really, in a way, they were saying, if God rescues us or not, we will not serve you. We will serve Him. If we die or live, it will not change who God is. If if He delivers us or doesn't deliver us, we still trust Him. Do we believe He can? Yes. Will He? It doesn't matter. Can he? Yes. Will he? That's irrelevant. Because the purpose of all this is we trust God. Think about that for a moment. You've often heard people say that if you really want God to do something, you just got to believe it, confess it with everything in you. You just keep believing it, confessing it, and it will happen. happen. I got to be honest with you. That's a poor guarantee. Because you know what? Oh, I'll put it this way. You know there is a point in time where God will finally just give in to you to shut you up? And you think he did it? All right, he did it. But really, it was just, you want it that bad, I'm going to give it to you. But I'm not sure you want it that bad. But I'm going to let you have what you think you want. I, I, I have to admit that over the last couple of years, the Lord has changed my faith. I, I'm, I'm not knocking anybody here that's done it. But I mean, I've heard people say, well, you know, I was going to get this car and I told God I wanted a green car with leather interior and I wanted air condition and I wanted this and I wanted that and I wanted this and boom, behold, God gave me that. Congratulations for your faith. You know what I say, God? I don't know what I want to drive. I don't know what car should have. You just tell me and I'll do it. Why? Because ultimately, I don't know what's best for me. And you know what's really sad? There's times I thought I knew what was best for me, John, that when I got it, I realized that's not what's best for me. Now, we all start somewhere 
And God works on our faith and he sometimes gives us things that we pray for and he shows us. But there comes a point in time in your walk with God where it's not your agenda that matters. It's just simply, can he? Yes. Will he? I don't know. But if not, it doesn't matter. I'm still walking. Can he deliver me? Yes. But if not, I'm, I'm going to keep walking. Because there's a lot of times that really, that prayer that we pray is really not as much faith as we think it is. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard people say, you know, I trusted God, I prayed for X and, and, and He never gave it to me. He let me down. But really, to be more precise, it really wasn't God letting them down. It was their Faith and their hope was actually on their own agenda that they had devised for their life. So really it was God plus my plan for my life equals answered prayer. Because if I go through scripture, I find a lot of places where God didn't answer prayers and that answered prayer, not answering the prayer, was an answer. And it's this whole attitude that we, we kind of get, we, we try to box God in. That God, you're going to get me out of this. I know you are. But then when he doesn't, then what? One of the, it's not original with me, but I love it. I heard a man of God say one time, the Bible says, speak to the mountain and it shall be removed. But what happens when you speak to the mountain and it doesn't move? I, I'm all for faith, speaking the word of faith. But I got a lot of mountains I've spoken to. They're still staring back at me. And I can, I mean, the word of God says, speak to the mountain and tell it to be cast in its sea and shall obey you. I'm like, all right, mountain. The word of God says that you're going to be cast in the sea. Now go in the sea. And it's like, I'm not moving. And so what does that mean? Well, I got to pray harder. I gotta try harder. But you know what? Some mountains are meant to be climbed, not escaped from. And you know what? Today, you could say, I speak to the mountain and claim it to be moved. And God's going to say, nope, not today. Get your climbing gear out. Get your rope and get your ladders and start climbing. Because you know what? It's the journey of the climb that I'm going to teach you something and show you something. And it's the difficulty of every step. And you know what? Climbing will not be easy. Climbing will not be simple. There will be perils along the journey. But when you get to the top of the mountain, you will see something there that I cannot show you in the valley. I'm so thankful today that God has not removed some mountains out of my way because by keeping those mountains, He's led me to peaks of revelation that I would have missed if He would have just made my way plain and made it flat and I just walked around going, okay, mountain move, mountain move, mountain move. Would my life be easier? Sure, but I would miss out on showing me the revelation of who He is and what He's called me to be and more than likely, I wouldn't have gotten all this stuff taken out of me on the journey up. Because you know what's amazing about a climb? 
the farther you go and the harder it gets, the more you start realizing certain things don't matter. And you start putting them down because it's not worth carrying to the top of the mountain. And so sometimes when you get overwhelmed with stuff and you're carrying all kinds of stuff and you've got this problem, that problem, and you're dealing with this offense and that offense and you've got this issue and that issue and you've got all this stuff you're dealing with and now you're just like walking with life. God says, "Uh uh-huh, I can fix that. Let me get you a mountain. If you're not going to lay it down voluntarily, let me put a mountain. And you're like, I'm going to show you, God, look how strong I am. And you start off going, it's not a big deal. But somewhere halfway up the mountain, you go, you know what? This ain't worth it. Whoa, you know what? That ain't worth that. Whew. I got to get that. Whoa. And about time you got about halfway up, it's like, you know what? Forget all that, baby. Because the top of the mountain is not worth all the stuff I've got to carry to get up there. Because he's at the top of the mountain. So you know what, some of you, God is determined. Every time you keep trying to do it, he just makes that mountain higher. Because he can add to and take from when he can. If you just decide to keep doing it, let me add a few more thousand feet. And you're like, when is this ever going to end? I'm going to tell you when it's going to end. When you just keep walking. You know what? There's no special oil. I'm not asking you to come down here. We're going to lay hands on everybody and boom, it's all going to go away. I'm just going to say today, keep walking. But maybe when you're walking, you might need to evaluate what you're carrying. Because there comes a point in the journey where you got to start evaluating, is the walk and what I'm carrying worth doing all this? Because you know what? And you could, I don't know, take a test here. You could hold these out for a while, right? I don't know how long. I really don't want to find out either. <laughs> You can do a lot of things for a while. But there comes a point in time where you can't do it anymore. There comes a point in time where it's just going to start getting weary, tiring. You had a choice. And a lot of us do this. Well, you know, I'm just going through so much right now. I just need to take a break and, and, and just, just stop for a moment. Really, that's a good excuse is I don't want to put this down, but I know I can't keep going with it. So I need to stop for a moment so I can get some strength. And the whole time God's trying to kill your strength and you're trying to get it. And you are in a big pickle because the more you try, the harder he's going to do to kill it. And trust me, his, his fire is hotter than your fire. And then we get straight again and we're like, okay, I'm going to make it a mo- you know, make it one more Sunday. I'm going to make it one more week, one more month. And then we get tired. It's like, well, I got to sit down again. I got to take some time. I got a solution for you. Laying down every weight and every sin that so easily besets us and walking on the journey. He's called us. To walk. It's a walk. I got an encouraging word for some of you today. It's not that God's going to deliver you. The encouraging word is keep walking. How much longer? I don't know. Keep walking. But the pain, keep walking. 
But the difficulty, keep walking. Because there's a guarantee. Nebuchadnezzar looked down in that fire and said, wait a minute, I saw three dudes in the fire. Who's the fourth? And why does he look the way he looks? Because you know what? You never see God greater than you do in the midst of the fire. I'm telling you this in the Holy Ghost. God's trying to show you something about who he is that he can only show you in the fire. Let me ask you a question here. I'm done. I'm I'm closing. Let me ask you the question. How many of you want to know who you are, your strengths and your weaknesses? How many of you want to know and have a profound trust in God? How many of you want to know and let God work in your life, through your life? There's a solution for all that. Keep walking, even through the fire. Because every one of these things can be learned in the fire. You know what? You don't really truly learn how to walk with God until you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm not talking about physical death. That's not the point I'm making. I'm talking about walking through whatever your valley is. But it's in this. It's really not walking according to my program. It's really walking according to what he has in my life. And this is a walk. This whole discipleship thing God has us on that we're, we've been talking this language for a year and a half. This is not an overnight thing. It's a process. And Brother Trombley talks about this. He teaches on it. And, I, and, and, and he's taught it before. And uh, Hopefully one day he can teach about it again. And I, but I think it's so, so beautiful to describe this. And, and I finish with this. Is that in Western thinking. Help me, Brother Trombley, get it wrong. You just wave and you can take over. I'm going to give him a simple. I'm going to give him the, the in-depth. But, but in, in, in secular Western thinking, we think in terms of straight lines. We look at things as according from point A to point B. We, we think of life as more like living from point A to B. You know, the, the shortest distance between two points, straight line. That's how we think. But, but, but Hebraic thinking and thinking that is the foundation of, of the Bible is not really thinking along a straight line, but it, it's really thinking more like a coil, spring. They look at a spring and you see how it's wound. It has a starting point, but as it goes around, it ascends higher and higher. Am I getting it correct, Brother Charlie? Good. And what does that mean? That means is that we look at life and we look at trials and we look at tests as done that, got it, I'd have to do that again. And then when it comes back around, we go, what did I do wrong? Why am I having to do this again? I thought I just passed that test. I thought two years ago I did that. I thought I've already done that. Why God? And then we start questioning. Did I do something wrong? Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's that. But realize that it's a cycle. It's a coil. And we go through these tests. And, and I would ask, John, how many years have you been walking with the Lord now? A long time. 30 some. 
And I guarantee you, 36. And in that time, you've had one test of faith. Just one. You've had one test of trust. One test of trust. You had, well, we got to get them all. You had one test of hope, right? One test of grace. One test of mercy. One test of love. One test of healing. One test. So once you pass all those tests, I mean, by now, 36 years, you should be perfect. Life is awesome, isn't it? You guys aren't going through any kind of test right now, are you, at all? Because you've already gone 36 years. You've mastered all this stuff. Why now, 36 years, you're going through stuff again? Why? But you know what? Every time you come out, it's another level higher. Another level of trust. Another level of understanding. Another revelation. You guys are going through new stuff. You were just telling me a few minutes ago, all the money, the money through the physical stuff, the thousands of dollars. It's another, why God? You mean 36 years, don't we owe, you owe us something. 36 years I've given life. You've seen literally by this time, thousands of people come and go from this church. You're still here, been playing the drums so long. My God, we're going to bury you with drumsticks. Why God after all these years? You owe me something, God. I mean, throw me a bone. Why now am I still going through this? Because every time you go through it, higher, 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 higher. And the revelation that's coming out of this circumstance is going to show you a place in God that in 36 years you haven't seen. Teresa, God's going to show you something now that you haven't seen in 36 years. And he's taking you through this. It's not punishment. It's not God's what's wrong with you. You haven't done anything. It's like, well, you know, they've been around for 36 years. Let me see if they really love me. Let me throw some more stuff on them. It's like 36 years. I want to show you more. But to show you more, I got to take you one more step through it. One more step through it. One more step through it. That's what God really is trying to do with a lot of you. He's not punishing you. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He's not trying to see, well, let me see if I can make them more some hurt them and do that. No, it's like I want to show you more, but I can't show you more unless you're telling to go wild one more time, one more time. But I'm telling you, when you start understanding that, Paul said, I glory in my affirmities. I take pleasure in my difficulties. Another trial, yes! Another difficulty? Yes. I'm not there yet. I'm trying. Why? Because he knows everything that happens, that it took him something greater, floating out in the middle of the ocean on a board. But God had a plan and a purpose and all that. Can I just tell somebody today that you are not being punished by God? I feel this strongly, and this is the last thing I feel to say, but you're not being punished by God. The devil's a liar. God's not mad at you. You haven't messed up. He's not trying to punish you. He loves you. He's trying to show you. Trying to reveal to you. How do you get there? Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Step by step. Foothold by foothold. There's a rock wall at the YMCA that my wife and I and family are a member of. It's about 30 feet tall, 25 feet tall. But probably somewhere in there. And uh, if you climb it, they give you a harness and they have this like this uh, safety thing you put on. And you climb up and if you fall, it gently just floats you back down to the ground. No harm, no foul. And so, 
My son will climb it. My daughters have tried to climb it. You know, they'll climb up. Noah gets about halfway, and that's about high enough for him. But then they fall off, and they just float down to the ground. But then, it was a while ago, there was a guy that came. And uh, he didn't put on a safety harness. He just climbed it. Up and down with nothing. This is not five feet off the ground. I mean, the top of the thing's got to be, I don't know, 25, 30 feet. Nothing. I'm telling you what, when you're climbing with that harness on and you've got that safety deal on, you don't really have to worry about every foothold. You try, and if it doesn't work out, you're okay. But when you're climbing with nothing, Every single thing matters. There was a man, I forgot his name, but he climbed, I believe it's called El Capitan in Yosemite. They made a documentary about it. He, he climbed it, free climbed it. So 3,000 foot vertical cliff with no rope. And there was a, a portion that he had practiced for really years he had spent. And he had practiced. And there was one portion that was the most dangerous deal of the entire climb. It was like 2,000 feet in the air. There's no mistake. Like It's not like, well, if I fall, I'll get back up and try it again. You're dead. There's, there's no, no parachute. Nothing. There's nothing to gently fall down. It's life or death. And there's this one section where... He talked about that it was the most technically difficult and dangerous part of the climb. And he had practiced this hundreds of times with a rope. And it basically was this maneuver where he had to split his hand, his legs like this. And he had a thumb like this. And this thumb was on this tiny little hold. And in order to get across, he had to kind of traverse this little space. He had to take this thumb and he had to switch out like this. Now, granted, 2,000 feet off the ground. And he's holding like this. And with one leap of faith, he had to push and hope to grab right there. They showed him trying to do it time and time again with the rope. He couldn't do it. Finally, he tried it and got it with the rope, and he decided, let's do this. And they showed this, they're showing this part. And he's split like this, and he's like that, and he reaches up with this thumb, and it switches over. And he's being held up, life or death, with a thumb. When you're living like that, You have to stay in contact with the mountain. Because you know if you let go of the mountain, you die. You know what's amazing? The farther you get up in your trial, the more you embrace it. Because you know, if I don't hold on, I've come too far to turn back now. Would you stand with me today?
Years ago when men would set across the Atlantic Ocean, leaving the shores of Europe or wherever they were coming from, and they would cross over trying to find a new world. And it's even to this point today now. There's still this point, but it was more prevalent back then because it was such a perilous journey. There comes a point in time somewhere in the journey, depending on where you're leaving from, it's called the point of no return, where it's easier to keep going than it is to turn around. That if something happens, you don't turn around. You keep going because the, the safety is closer if you keep going than if you turn around. I'm telling you something, that we're past the point of no return. What are we, we, we can't turn back. What are we going to turn back to? It's, far, it's harder to go backwards than it is to keep going forward. We just got to keep walking. Sunday after Sunday, small group after small group, next step class after next step class, Monday after Monday, Tuesday after Tuesday, Wednesday after Wednesday, keep walking. His grace is sufficient. Father, I thank you today. I've done my best to obey you. Say what you want me to say. Not add to, not take away from. Father, I pray. You know every situation in this room. You know every journey, every path, every difficulty. God, I pray today that you would give each one of us the grace to keep walking the path you've called us on. That our steps would be ordained by you, governed by you. That we would not become discouraged. But we would be encouraged today by the power of your spirit that your grace is sufficient that if you have given us the faith to speak to the mountain and it hasn't moved, then you've given us the grace to climb it. I pray today, God, that you would open our eyes that we would see and reveal to us what you're trying to do in us and through us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, Father, we need you today. We cannot do this on our own. God, if you... We believe you can deliver us, but if not, you're still God. If not, you're still faithful. If not, you're still good. If not, you're still just. If not, you're still right. We speak these things in Jesus' name. Praise God. Let me encourage you today. Let's leave this place and walk with Jesus. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and tell them before they leave, say, Walk with Him this week.